heaven light? Do we really sit on clouds and play hearts? I know dogs are in heaven, but what about cats? Do we eat in heaven? Do I get to play in heaven? Are we just going to sing the whole time? Will my family know who I am? Will I have to work in heaven? Can I see my friends? What do you think heaven's like? Ethan, we're going to try to answer some of those questions that those kids raised uh, in this series, so I hope that you will join us. Well, I'm glad that you are here today, and if you are our guest, uh, we welcome you and thank you for being here. I usually stay down front after the service, so come down and uh, let me get acquainted with you. Let me remind you again of our Good Friday service, 7 o'clock. I hope you'll join us. And then we'll start Easter with our sunrise service in the parking lot at the uh, Justice Center. And uh, if you won't need to bring your own chair, uh, do that because we'll not have chairs. It only lasts about 30 minutes. So if you want to bring your own chair, that would be fine. Uh, we will have uh, coffee and donuts to warm you up. Let's pray to God it gets a little warmer than this. Amen. Amen. So I hope you invite people to come to church with you on Easter. People want to come to church on Easter, and it's a great way to open the door of the church. We have lots of people at First Church whose first experience with First Church was through Easter. And uh, that could happen uh, here as well and probably has happened here. So, so uh, it, let, let's make Easter a big, big deal. Well, let's do something real spiritual. We're in the house of the Lord, and we need to do something really spiritual. How's your brackets? <laughs> Mine been busted a long time ago, but Kentucky's still in the hunt. Amen. And you know that little nun that was so popular last year in the NCAA, Sister Jean? She predicts us to win. So light your candle, Sister Jean, whatever you do. <laughs> Whatever it takes. So uh, we Kentuckians are really crazy, aren't we? We really are. Nobody understands this outside of Kentucky. My brother doesn't understand it all, but he's from Tennessee, and he won't ever understand. This morning, I'm beginning a series of messages on heaven. And today, we're going to try to answer the question, where do you go when you die? Now, there's a lot of teaching in this series, and on your bulletin, they have provided a little place for you to take notes. And so I invite you, I invite you to take some notes because there's going to be a lot of teaching uh, in this series. Let's pray and we'll get to it. Father, we thank you that you are more ready to hear us and to forgive us than we are to come to you and ask you to forgive us. Father, forgive us of the sins that we have committed this week and strengthen us as we seek to serve you so that we may follow you in ways of peace and in ways of love. Lord, we pause to pray this morning for places where your glory is marred or scarred, for all in our world who live in slums, for those who don't have enough to eat or someone to care for them. We remember all the lonely and the grieving and the distressed. And Father, we pray that you would be very close to those who are ill at home or in the hospital or nursing homes, or hospice centers. We just pray that they would sense your presence. Now, Father, pour through me the gift of preaching. Take these human words and use them to speak to us today and give each of us just the message we want to hear. 
because we pray to you in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Dr. Albert Einstein boarded a train in Princeton, New Jersey, and when the train got underway, the conductor made his rounds to punch everybody's ticket. He got to Dr. Einstein, and Dr. Einstein felt in his vest pocket he could not find his ticket. He felt in his pants pocket he could not find it. He looked in his coat pocket he could not find it. He looked in his briefcase he could not find his ticket. And finally, the conductor said, Dr. Einstein, it's okay. I know who you are. I'm sure that you bought a ticket. So the conductor goes on punching his tickets, and he looks back, and there is Dr. Einstein down on his hands and knees looking for his ticket under his seat. And the conductor rushed back to him, and he said, Dr. Einstein, I'm sure you bought a ticket. It's okay. I know who you are. Dr. Einstein said, young man, I too know who I am. I don't know where I'm going. (laughs) Now, there are three questions in life that we have to answer. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Now, do you know where you're going? When you die, do you know where you're going? Let's talk about it. Because there is something in the human spirit that refuses to believe that I'm just a candle in the wind, and when the flame is burned out, I cease to exist. There is biblical reason why we believe in eternity. There is a biblical reason why our spirit just believes in eternity and will not give up on it. It is recorded in Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has planted eternity in the human heart. The Bible says when we die, we go to meet God. Ecclesiastes 12.7 says, For then the dust, this is our body, will return to dust, and the spirit will return to the God who gave it. So our destiny is an encounter with God. We are going from here to eternity. So let's talk about it. Let's start this study by asking what Jesus said about eternity. Now, not everybody in Jesus' day believed in the eternal life. They did not believe in eternity. They were called the Sadducees, the Sadducees. The Sadducees believed that when you die, that was it. They did not believe in eternity. So they come up with this ridiculous scenario to trick Jesus. Jesus, here's a man who marries, and, uh, and, and he dies. His wife marries again, and he dies. This went on for seven times. So whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? And Jesus shot back, you, 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 your, mis- your mistake is that you don't know the scripture and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. But now, as to whether the dead will be raised, haven't you ever read about this in the writings of Moses in the story of the burning bush? Long after, long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. These guys weren't dead. 
Jesus is saying these guys are still alive. God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And you have made a serious error. Now, Jesus gave two reasons why people don't know what happens to them when they die. Number one, he says, you don't know the scripture. And then number two, he says to these guys, you don't know the power of God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive. And Jesus knew both of these truths, and he taught that we should live our lives in view of the eternal over the external. Probably one of the most well-known things that Jesus said is recorded in Matthew, the 16th chapter. He said, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus said, we are going to go from here to eternity, so start living like it. Now, Jesus made a lot of statements about eternity, and I want to try to sum up what Jesus said in just three statements in this introduction to the series on heaven. First one is this. All will be resurrected and judged. All will be resurrected and judged. In the book, The Bible and the Future, the author says, there is a sense in which people are judged already in this present life by the response they make to Christ. That is so true. In John 3, 18, we read, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has believed in the name of the only Son of God. Already, now, Divine judgment rests on those who refuse to believe in Christ. But the Bible teaches that there will be a final judgment at the end of history in which all men will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is one of the clearest teachings of Jesus, that the next age will be started with the judgment. Now, Jesus said a lot of things about the judgment, but let me just show you two things that he said. Matthew 11, but I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you, day of judgment. Matthew 12, but I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Well, that's a scary thought, isn't it? That's a scary thought. Now, Jesus said the next age will begin with a divine determining, a divine determining. There will be a determining between the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the weeds, and the good fish and the bad fish. So what is the purpose of the judgment? I could make a whole sermon on that and and, uh, probably should have, but there's a lot of reasons for the judgment that I can't go into this morning. But for our purposes this morning, The purpose of the judgment is to separate the saved from the unsaved. There is going to be a separation of God's children from sinners. There's going to be a separation of God's children from those who think they're God's children, but they are not. There are wheat and weeds grow together in the field. We have the same in the church, the wheat and the weeds. But Jesus, one of these days, is going to fix it. 
Now, Jesus used some interesting metaphors when he talked about the judgment. He, he said, a net catches all kinds of fish. And just because it catches all kinds of fish doesn't mean that all those in the net will go into the basket, he said. The good fish will go in the basket and the bad fish will be thrown away. Now, in the perfect kingdom of God, only the good fish will be there. Just because you're in the net, Jesus said, doesn't mean you'll be in the basket. Now, a separation is coming that only God can do, and it will happen at the end of this age. Matthew 25. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. And then the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Now we Christians need to understand Jesus will not judge us because of our sins. Our sins have already been judged at Calvary, and we're covered with the righteousness of Jesus. Our sins have been judged. We say, well, what's the purpose of us standing before the judgment? The purpose of Christians standing before the judgment will determine our rewards. Our works will be rewarded. Not, we're not earning salvation here. No, we're already. That's taken care of. When we stand before the Lord, we will be judged according to our works, to receive our rewards. And the sins are those individuals who did not accept Jesus Christ will be judged accordingly. On that day, the judgment will be clear, it will be fair, but not everybody will go to heaven, but anybody can if they make preparation. All right, are you with me? All will be resurrected and judged. The second truth that Jesus taught is all who put their faith in Jesus will go to heaven. All who put their faith in Jesus will go to heaven. Now, Jesus' view of eternity was very consistent. There was no waffling, there was no wavering. He was consistent. He said, Your eternal destiny is wrapped up in your relationship to me. Look what he said in John 6. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. So the question on the judgment day is not how much did I sin. The question will be, did I put my faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior? That will be the question. Jesus said in John 8, 24. Unless you believe that I am who I say I am, you will die in your sins. Woo. One of our most beloved verses in the Bible, John 3.16. First verse that my grandmother taught me, had me to memorize. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, God loves the whole world, but only those who believe in Jesus go to heaven. Only those who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, have eternal life. So the question before us this morning is, have you trusted in Jesus? Now, we're going to talk a lot and give about heaven, but, but Jesus gives us some wonderful details about heaven in that beautiful verse, beautiful chapter of John 14. Don't be troubled. You trust God, now trust in me. In my Father's, there are many rooms in my Father's home, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, I would tell you plainly. When everything is ready, I will come and get you. I love that phrase. I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Now, we're going to learn a lot about heaven, and we're going to answer some of the questions that those kids raised in heaven. Those are legitimate questions that people ask about heaven. We're going to answer some of those questions. But in this passage of Scripture, Jesus gives us a glimpse what heaven is going to be like. He says, my father's house will have many rooms. In my father's house. Now, to me, in my father's house, that, that provokes images of warmth and intimacy and permanency. In my father's house. Roy Alcorn, I've read a lot of books on heaven. Roy Alcorn has written the best one, and I would recommend it to you if you want to read a good book on heaven. This is probably the best one of all that I have read, and it's simply called Heaven. Roy Alcorn says this, Place is singular, but rooms is plural. This suggests Jesus has in mind for each of us an individual dwelling that's a smaller part of the larger place. Understand that. This place will be home to us in the most unique sense. The term room is cozy and intimate. The term house or estate suggests spaciousness. That's heaven. A place both spacious and intimate. Some of us enjoy coziness, being in a private space, and and that would be me. Others enjoy a large, wide open space. Most of us enjoy both. And the new heaven and the new earth will offer both. Did you notice Jesus said, it My father's house will have many rooms. Now, I take that to understand that every one of us are going to have our own room. And I like that. That speaks to me. That speaks to me. You see, I get tired of the saints sometimes real easy. And I want to retreat to my private place. So when you've had enough of the saints in heaven, you'll have a place to go to and have a little downtime. And you're going to have your own room in heaven. And... Mine's going to have a UK flag in it. I don't know about yours. (laughs) Heaven is a place. It's a prepared place. We're going to talk about this later on. It's a real place. You're going to have a real tangible body in a real place. 
Now, the movies in Hollywood haven't helped us here. Every time it seems that they make a movie about heaven, heaven looks like a fog bank. Well, we're not going to live in a fog bank. You're not going to live on a cloud. You aren't going to have little wings on your shoulders. You're not going to look like Cupid. You're not going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. I heard an old mountain preacher down home say one time, that would be hell. That would not be heaven. And I agree with him, amen? You are going to have a real body in a real place. Jesus said, I will come for you, you. Heaven is a place of identity. We will not be genderless clones in heaven. You will always be you. I will always be me. I'm not excited about that, but that's the way it will be. I will always be me. But we're going to be perfect. Remember, we're going to be perfect. One day, God is going to look at us and say, you're perfect. I can't even imagine that. You'll take to heaven with you what makes you, you. But you'll be perfect. Look what else Jesus said. You will always be with me where I am. Heaven will be a place of unlimited capacity to fellowship with God. My favorite preacher, one of my favorite preachers, I've quoted him so much, I know you're probably tired of me quoting Fred Craddock. One time a woman said to me, that man that you quote all the time, was he a real person? (laughs) Yes, he was a real person. Fred Craddock said this, our hope is the anticipation of uninterrupted and undiminished pleasure in the presence of God. Isn't that our hope? Our hope is the anticipation of of uninterrupted and undiminished pleasure in the presence of God. We were made for extreme intimacy with God, but that intimacy with God can never be fulfilled here. It can never be. Look at the lady on the screen. Remember Nancy Kerrigan? She was an Olympic ice skating figure. And I will never forget when she was skating in the Olympics... Her mother, you you maybe remember the shot, her mother was looking at a TV monitor and she was this close to a TV monitor. And uh, someone asked her, said, Brenda, what do you see? She said, I can see some of the movements and I can see some of the forms. And then she began to cry. And she said, I can't see your face. I can't see my daughter's See, folks, that's the disconnect we should feel. We cannot see our Father's face here. But listen what John says. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face. One day we will look into the face of God, and we will not be afraid. We will not be ashamed to look into his face. Now, there was a time when God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. Wouldn't that have been something? Talk about a close relationship. And there is something deep in our soul that yearns for that closeness with God. And isn't that what most of us would like? Isn't that what most of us would like? We would like to have that kind of intimacy with God. And Jesus said, if you trust me then... 
I'll welcome you into heaven. And we'll have that kind of intimacy. Now, it's the most inclusive invitation ever offered. And it's the most exclusive statement in the Bible. But Jesus said this. It's inclusive, but yet it's exclusive. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Now that is the most politically incorrect statement that a preacher could make today. Talk about politically incorrect. That statement is politically incorrect in our culture. I made that statement one time. And after church I was down front and there was a young man over in this section over here. He did not go down the rows. He walked over the pews to get to me and got in my face and said, how dare you make a statement like that? What about all these other people? How dare you be that exclusive? I said, son, take it up with Jesus, not me. I'm just quoting what he said. So if you've got a problem with that, take it up with Jesus. Talk to him about it. All roads don't lead to heaven. Jesus said our eternal destiny is determined by our relationship with Jesus. All right, you've been listening very intently and some heavy stuff, so let's take a little breather and do a little review before we get to the last one, and it's really heavy. All will be resurrected and judged. All who have put their faith in Jesus will go to heaven. And then all who reject Jesus will not escape hell. I wish I did not have to say that. I really do. I wish I did not have to say that. To be but true to the authority of Scripture, I have to. I have to. So what happens to us when we die if we do not accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior? There was a businessman who was on vacation, and he was reading his hometown newspaper, and he was stunned to read his own obituary. He, he was shocked. He was angry. He called the editor, and he said, I'm calling about the report of my death in your paper yesterday. Yes, sir, came the reply, and from where might you be calling? <laughs> in the story Jesus told about the sheep and the goats, he said this. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones. And to eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. And they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. Now folks, Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody in the Bible. He did. And why? Because Jesus knew what it meant to be forsaken by God. He knew what forsakenness meant. Jesus was an expert because he had been there and he had done it. And I know what you're thinking because I've been hearing it all of my life. The God I serve would not send people to a place like that. And I encounter with this. The God we worship, the God of love, must prepare a place called hell. God does not send anybody to hell. 
He merely honors their choice. Max Calcado is probably the greatest inspirational writer of our day, and he says it better than anybody I've read. He said, how could a loving God send people to hell? Hell is the ultimate expression of God's high regard for the dignity of man. He has never forced us to choose him, even when that means we would choose hell. And he quotes C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis stated, there are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Hmm. All that are in hell, choose it. And in another book, Lewis says it this way, I willingly believe that the damned are in one sense successful rebels to the end, and that the doors of hell are locked on the inside. No, God does not send, notice the word send, people to hell, nor does he send people to hell. That's a second misconception. The word people is neutral, implying innocence. Nowhere does Scripture teach that the innocent people are condemned. People do not go to hell. Sinners do. The rebellious do. The self-centered do. So how could a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. He simply honors the choice of the sinners. You see, if God forced his love on us, he would be less than love. So if you go through life and you want to keep your distance from God... That is your choice. If you want to say, God, I, I, and hold him at an arm's length, that is your choice. God, don't, don't get in my space. That is your choice. But on the judgment day, God will honor your choice. It really is your choice. No one in hell will be able to say, God put me here. Because God put hell on his son so that we wouldn't have to go there. People get to hell by walking by that cross that was supposed to keep them out of hell. So if we choose, we will not spend eternity blaming God. We'll spend eternity blaming ourselves. No one in hell will say, God, put me here. No, it was my choice. And no one in heaven will say, I put myself here. Our first glimpse of God's holiness, his righteousness, and his purity will put us on our knees in eternal gratitude to the God who made a way so that we sinners could go to heaven. Now, some of you are probably disappointed. Well, L.D., I thought you were going to talk about heaven. Woo. Well, we will. But here's the point. What does it matter if we're right about heaven and wrong about Jesus? Hmm? What, what, what difference would it make if we had all these facts about heaven and yet we're wrong about Jesus? See, we first have to be right about Jesus. And to be right about Jesus, we have to decide that he's the son 
of the living God and choose him as our Lord and Savior. And when you do that, you'll know where you're going. You will know where you're going. And you will not stand on the judgment day shaking your boots, not knowing where you're going. You will know where you're going. So my question to you this morning is, do you know where you're going? I pray that you will answer that before you leave here today. Pray with me. Father, thank you for Jesus who died so that we could live forever in heaven. I pray, Father, that this series of messages will excite us about what you are preparing for us. And I pray that it will turn the hearts of those who do not know you toward you so that they will make adequate preparation so that they will be prepared to meet you when you come. I pray that that will happen today. We pray in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior, and all God's people said, Amen. Today, if you've not made your preparation, you can do that. Come and accept Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, confessing as your Lord and Savior. Confess him as the son of the living God. Let him take all your guilt, all your past away. Clean the slate. And you'll be ready for heaven. If you need to obey him in Christian baptism, won't you do that today? If you need someone to pray with you, come here. If you just want to come here and pray. Or if you want to stay afterwards. It's just too embarrassing if you want to stay afterwards. Like some people did this morning first service do that and we'll pray with you then as well let's stand let's sing and I hear the Savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness